Midtown Poop Boys. Fucking, uh, yeah, it's a good band, dude. I've always liked their music. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Let's uh, see here. Speaking of which, you know, I went to, I like to always check out the local stuff or local beer. I didn't make it to no breweries or nothing. I see that they have a few. Uh, I went to Luigi's, like a sports bar, had some pretty good food. And then, uh, what am I drinking right here? A Southern Pecan. Pecan Nut Brown Ale by Lazy Magnolia. I'm not sure where this is made at, though. And, uh, um, yeah. <clears throat> Anyhow. <clears throat> Fuck, yeah. All right, so let's see here. Let's get on with this. Let's get on with this, uh, with this chapter, man. It's getting a little, getting a little late. I'm going to have to go to bed. I got to get up early. But let's see here. Let's start off. This is unsub number 15 with Kitty Pigs, Chapter 8. Targeted individuals. Quote, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. End quote. Revelation. Chapter 9, verse 5. Assuming the government's intelligence agencies and the Department of Defense haven't suddenly started obeying the legal guidelines of the common rule 
or the moral suggestions of the Nuremberg Code, one subset of the population does seem to be suffering as unwitting guinea pigs of government-sponsored experimentation. Given the United States government's history of using the public in non-consensual experimentation, it would be illogical to think that they have suddenly stopped, especially when much of the technology being currently tested can be used remotely. For decades, beginning with MKUltra and its related projects, the governments of most of the industrialized nations have been searching for reliable ways to control the masses. While most of us are familiar with the control that can be gained through guns, taxes, and the media, few are familiar with the weapons mentioned in this book that rely on the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah, I see the control that can be gained through guns, taxes, and the media. I've been reading up. I had already started an episode about uh, silent weapons uh, from the Behold a Pale Horse by, what was it, William Cooper, Milton Cooper, something like that. Uh, and I read this book a long time ago. But as I was reading it, I noticed it has to do a lot with economic, uh, like that tax shock, uh, shocking and stuff but it does get into some of the other weapons that are used in the same 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 way as mk ultra and uh a lot of that stuff so the engineering of consent uh by Edward bernays um that they use in this silent weapons chapter of behold a pale horse viewers still understand the strange susceptibility that the human nervous system has to electromagnetic energy. Throughout history, certain segments of the population have felt the need to separate themselves from government and thrive based upon their own self-reliance. The Amish religious sect is an excellent example of this. Although they have succumbed somewhat to governmental intrusion through allowing their children to attend the public school system, the single allowance has reduced the number of individuals remaining in the sect. However, secondary to exposure of their youth to modernization. Other fringe religious groups, as well as survivalist organizations, have also fled to rural areas to escape the ever-watching eye of Big Brother. Here's another side note about this Big Brother. Remember when I was up there, when I was in the Bay, and... Uh, uh, I would the voice, the female, the AI voice or the female voice or whatnot would tell me to uh, blame your brother or thanks to your brother or it's, it's your brother's fault or something like that. So I always thought they was talking about my brother. I'm like my brother, cause, and he 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 was in the army, but then uh, I, he he was only a fucking diesel mechanic in the army. So <laughs> fuck and. Uh, but now that I now that I know it was, it was Big Brother is what they was talking about, as in 1984. All right. So until recently, escape and a lot of the times those voices that I would hear, I would thought they were my friends, dude, people that I know, and some of the information that they knew. I'm thinking, what the fuck, motherfuckers are like ratting me out or something, and they're all they got them on fucking re recorded or voices recorded. And they're playing that shit back to me somehow. 
They used to fucking trip me out, dude. I'd be laying there in the middle of the night trying to go to sleep and shit, and they'd keep me up all night long with this bullshit. Okay. I'd be like, dude, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, okay. Until recently, escaping to agricultural areas where one could live off the land, one could successfully remove themselves from the grid. However, the relative resistance of these groups to the traditional control mechanisms of taxation, bureaucracy, and the media did eventually invoke the ire, the ire of the federal government. Labeled as potential domestic terrorists, many of these groups have been infiltrated by FBI agents for closer observation. In several extreme cases of governmental intervention, these groups were forced to comply with governmental control by force. The reader may remember the tragedies that occurred at Ruby Ridge and the Branch Davidian compound where government agencies did resort to force to disrupt these groups. Yeah, Ruby Ridge, you know, they fucking killed old fucking homeboys, uh, what was his name, dude? Weaver, Millie Weaver, they killed fucking her and her, she was holding a baby in her arms and they fucking killed, murdered both the motherfuckers the FBI did, fucking punk ass motherfuckers. Uh, uh, she was holding a baby in her arms and they shot the baby and her. Fuck the punk ass FBI. They they're behind a lot of that gang stalking shit too. The federal government, realizing that the American public would not continue to tolerate, to tolerate armed attacks on its citizens, began to look for more covert ways to exercise control over these agriculturally independent populations. This is not to infer that the individuals suffering at the hands of current technological experimentation fit in the category of separatists. In most cases, they do not appear to be separatists, radicals, or anti-government. Yeah, I think they're fucking, speaking of which, like, the uh, the Proud Boys, and who's that other one, that fucking, what's that other group? QAnon? I think those are FBI fucking front companies, dude, to try to fucking, some of that COINTELPRO bullshit. Because I've, I've, I've been a national socialist fucking all my life, and all these p things just popping up out of nowhere, this fucking, it's, who the fuck are these people, dude, you know what I'm saying, they're not known to the, our nation, to my motherfucking nation, no. it's fucking FBI bullshit, mm. <clears throat> it's COINTELPRO, all right, in most cases, they do not appear to be separatists, radicals, or anti-government. I am merely attempting to explain, from a governmental viewpoint, their plausible need to develop more sophisticated means of controlling the population. <clears throat> the governments from every industrialized nation no longer seek to merely govern their people. The emphasis has changed from governing populations to controlling populations with United Nations helping pave the way through a myriad of programs. The group, feeling the 
brunt of the slow conversion from representative to mental totalitarianism refers to to themselves as target individuals or TIs. This rapidly growing group of individuals is the one voicing the complaints of exposure to electromagnetic technologies meant to alter cognition and physiology. While many of these accounts could have been written off as mental illness a decade ago, the frequency and similarity of the complaints being vocalized currently point toward a much different ideology. The lack of legislation against non-consensual experimentation, the willingness of the government to participate in non-consensual experimentation, and the known research and development of electromagnetic weapons validate these claims as probable covert experimentation. I have interviewed thousands of the people voicing these complaints both alone and through freedom from covert surveillance and harassment. That's a lot of people do thousands, he says. uh, An advocacy organization offering support to the victims. My descriptions of the experiences of these, quote, targeted individuals, unquote, are based upon my interviews as well as statistical data provided by the FFCHS through extensive surveys that they regularly conduct. Of note, freedom from covert surveillance and harassment is not the only support group that has formed. Many other support groups have developed to handle the exponentially growing number of complaints that are being voiced. Like the the Fighting Monarch is a good one that I have learned of. Uh, and who else am I learned here? And I want to get some of this. Robert Duncan has some lectures in the Miles Basis Project that I need to, uh, I've been wanting to uh, focus upon uh, to get some like resource material from. After several thousand interviews and many hours of mulling over questionnaires filled out by victims, I have pieced together an explanation of their experiences. The reader has probably noticed that I do not refer to the victims with descriptive terms like alleged or probable. After completing this book, the reader will be equally convinced that this is a real phenomenon that is destroying the lives of thousands of individuals and their families. Undoubtedly, many victims and non-victims alike will disagree with some of my findings and descriptions of this template, of this phenomenon. However, while some victims may have circumstances that differ slightly from my template, the overwhelming majority are experiencing a very methodical progression of experimentation that fits well into the template that I am hypothesizing. Targeted individuals are experiencing a form of experimentation that follows a progression of phases that include selection, surveillance, stalking, 
Defamation, Attack, and Monitoring. These six phases may have some overlap, however, they are distinct enough to separate them into phases. The time spent on each phase may vary from individual to individual and is probably a reflection of the desires of the perpetrator of the experimentation. Again, the description is based upon a compilation of data and counterintelligence gathered from surveillance of a perpetrator group identified in San Antonio, Texas. The group in Texas that was counter-surveilled has been independently identified by four unrelated victims from four different geographic areas of Texas. Selection of a target may be for a myriad of reasons at the local level. One must remember this technology is not available to the average person. The groups perpetrating this type of experimentation are given access to the technology as covert, independent contractors of the government agencies responsible for its development. This research is a continuation of earlier behavioral control operations which were mostly done through front companies. The current air experimentation is no different. The groups given access to the technology are allowed to choose victims for any reason they deem necessary. The agencies behind the technology are merely interested in collecting the data on its successes or failures. Therefore, as the data is collected at the top from each of the many perpetrator groups, the selection of victims probably appears random. The selection demographics look very different at the local level. While a small number of victims have come forward with convincing evidence of direct harassment from various government agencies, these are mostly whistleblowers employed by the same agencies and comprised the minority. Most victims are everyday people who would be considered common by most standards. Through interviews and questionnaires, we have found some trends among the victim population. A large percentage of the victims are female. Most of these female victims have reported drug-facilitated rape and sexual assault. This is probably not a part of the experimentation as much as a representation of the criminal nature of the perpetrator group. Technology that allows for complete surveillance, stalking, and subliminal control makes sexual assault a very easy crime to accomplish. While rape has been used in the past as a part of mental programming through trauma, it appears that it is seen more as a perk among the current experimental perpetrators. Nonetheless, it is no less physically traumatic and psychologically damaging to the victim. One group of victims in Palm Springs, California does appear to be targeted sexually. This group of mostly gay men is being audibly harassed by the same female voice through the microwave auditory effect 
as well as being victimized through drug-assisted sexual assault. Obviously, this represents a psychological hatred on the part of the group perpetrating these crimes in that area. However, to summarize the selection of targets for inclusion into this experimental protocol may be specific at the local level with some aspect of particular traits that are sought out by the perpetrators. At the agency level, where the data is ultimately compiled, each perpetrator group's inclusion criteria probably average out to give the target population a random appearance. <laughs> Fuck. Fine, damn it, dude. Stalking fucking... Fucking uh, started at the Daddy Warbucks. Fucking Palm Springs. Uh, <laughs> Daddy Warbucks. Yeah. All right. Surveillance of the chosen of the chosen target closely follows selection. The surveillance phase differs, or <clears throat> differs from the stalking phase, and that during the surveillance phase, the target is unaware that it is occurring. Once selected, the target is extensively surveilled through multiple means, which include background checks, credit checks, mail tampering, email hacking, and direct observation, both physically and electronically. Surveillance accomplishes several important goals that are integral to the success of the remainder of the operation. It allows the perpetrator to accurately determine the target's daily living activities. Most importantly, where they live, work, bank, and how they spend their leisure time are quickly assessed. The people they spend the majority of their time with are identified and scaled in order of importance. For instance, highly valued circumferential targets would include the target's close family members, supervisors, physicians, clergy, and anyone else that they may spend substantial time communicating with. This allows the perpetrators to know with reasonable certainty who the target will confide in once they are aware of their targeting. During this phase, the target's social status is ascertained with regard to their relationships with loved ones, neighbors, co-workers, supervisors, and others. Any participation in taboo behavior, such as drug use, excessive alcohol intake, domestic violence, infidelity, or pornography, are especially noted and followed up on very closely. All the data collected during this phase will be used to control, mislead, defame, and isolate the target. Also, during this phase, the perpetrators will often have neighbors, co-workers, and relatives assisting them with the surveillance. This is usually accomplished by misleading those individuals into thinking they are assisting with a legitimate law enforcement investigation. In one instance, the private investigative agency perpetrating the surveillance identified themselves to a target's neighbor as FBI agents 
complete with fraudulent identification badges. One would be very surprised at the number of people who fall for this ploy without even asking for appropriate identification or contacting the alleged agency to inquire if the surveillance is legitimate. Ignorance of the laws, both nationally and at the state level, regarding surveillance and right to privacy make this a very effective ploy. The successful application of this technique by the perpetrators will later legitimize the defamation phase and protect them from possible arrest during the stalking phase. With the neighbors believing that they are assisting with an investigation by a legitimate agency, they are less likely to call the police and report the vehicles they see parked in front of the target's home throughout the night. Stalking of the target is a natural extension of the surveillance phase. These phases differ and that the surveillance phase is usually unknown to the target while the stalking phase is done with full awareness of the target. In current literature, the stalking phase of this type of victimization is usually described as gang stalking, organized stalking, or cause stalking. Gang stalking and cause stalking are inaccurate descriptions in that they imply either street gang involvement or some grandiose reasoning behind the stalking. Organized stalking is probably the most accurate description, reflecting the highly organized and methodically planned out form of stalking that these victims experience. The methods involved are directly adapted from the COINTELPRO operations run by the FBI in the 1950s and 1960s against groups seen as radical elements. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Motherfucker. The tactics include total inundation of the target at home and wherever they may go, breaking and entering of their domicile and physical harassment and intimidation. Electronic harassment is used during this phase with regard to email tampering, computer hacking, cell phone spoofing, and cyberbullying. More exotic forms of electronic harassment are covered as part of the attack phase but may be present in any phase of this type of victimization. And they do that shit a lot in fucking youth, uh, in motherfucking Facebook. Fucking person. Imper impersonating fucking people I know and perpetrating ass motherfuckers, dude. Imposters. And I remember one time too, man, a long time ago when I, when I first got out of prison, I found out about this Facebook shit. And, uh, was it 2011, 2012? And I used to, and I used to get on there and I'd be like, and I really didn't like it, but I remember the voice used to tell me I belong to Facebook and shit. Some bullshit. To try to keep me fucking connected to that motherfucker. So I could do exactly what they do now. Harass a motherfucker and, and fucking try to uh, impersonate other motherfucking people, dude. The stalking phase serves several important functions for the group perpetuating the operation to ensure that the target is totally enveloped in the operation with minimal chance of escape. It places the victim in a victim mind state of hopelessness, especially once the victim has been ignored by police agencies through which the victim has sought help. 
Stalking is a very is very difficult for police agencies to prosecute under normal circumstances. Police assistance in cases of organized stalking where the victim's everyday actions have been studied through surveillance for months or years is nearly futile. In addition, the stalkers are highly trained, often with federal or local law enforcement backgrounds themselves, and pushing the envelope just short of giving the police a reason to investigate. The hopelessness that ensues from the feeling that all backs have been turned from believing or assisting the victim is integral success of the operation. After repeated police complaints of break-ins where nothing is stolen and personal belongings have been rifled through, the victim is labeled mentally unsound and further police complaints are ignored. Only felony burglary will be investigated by law enforcement agencies. Criminal trespassing will only result in a report that is filed away without an investigation. At worst, multiple complaints of stalking and criminal trespassing will result in a psychiatric referral or mandatory 24-hour psychiatric evaluation. The inability of the victim to get appropriate law enforcement assistance helps instill the belief that law enforcement is complicit in their victimization and limits them from further complaints. Once this level of hopelessness is achieved, the perpetrators feel confident in escalating their stalking to more frequent breaking and entering as well as physical and sexual assault with less risk of arrest. The victim mind state often causes the target to go into an extreme state of reclusion which furthers their chance of a psychiatric diagnosis once a psychiatric exam is requested or mandated. This part of the operation has been brilliantly designed with assistance from psychiatric professionals and is a scenario that continues to play out to perfection in almost every case. The stalking phase serves another purpose. The victim must be located through GPS in order for the constellation of other modalities to be used on them. This can be accomplished in several different ways. Stalking may be a way of performing constant 24-7 GPS location through GPS-enabled devices in the hands of the stalkers. This obviates the need for tracking chips in the victim and explains why the stalking phase almost always comes to an abrupt end with only the electronic harassment remaining. At one time, chipping the target, much like GPS chipping of animals to study migratory patterns, was probably the more common scenario. However, this exposes the perpetrator group to the possibility of arrest for physical assault if caught and provides evidence of assault to the victim if the chip is found. A less risky alternative to stalking the victim close enough to remotely GPS them until their EEG can be cataloged and used through remote neural monitoring for the remainder of the operation. Our research has reinforced this fact. We have frequency scanned thousands of victims for covertly placed microchips with very few found on x-ray or MRI. To add to this confusion, 
Part of the operation is apparently to convince the target that they have been chipped. This causes them to exhaust their finances, looking for an embedded device that doesn't exist with such fervor that it contributes to their psychiatric diagnosis. Essentially, while chipping was once integral to the operation, it is now part of the psychological victimization. However, because many people have been complaining of this targeting for a decade or more, scanning for a trapping, tracking chip should probably be part of their workup. Most recently, Bob Boyce, an inventor from Georgia, was allegedly chipped by an, an agent involved with the NSA. His chip was found on x-ray and removed by a surgeon. It was a very chip brand chip that was covertly placed in the tissue of his lateral shoulder where it underwent malignant changes. This case is still in litigation. For the record, in an email correspondence with the makers of VeriChip, they assured me that they do not condone covert chipping with their product, nor will it function as a GPS tracking chip. The serial number on Boise's chip allegedly was traced back to a lot of chips sold to the United States government. I will allow the reader to make their own decision regarding the sincerity and the reply I received from VeriChip. Nonetheless, the fact that we are not routinely finding chips is in a multitude of victims and the targeting continues and those with chips removed tells me that it's being done through other means with chipping or stalking being used strictly as a method of location. Dr. Robert Duncan in Soul Catcher, Secrets of Cybernetic Warfare, revealed, puts forth the same assumption. There's that dude again. Robert Duncan. So I'm going to have to go on and listen to, find one of these things on audio and throw it out here, dude. Robert Duncan. Soul Catcher. Alright. The stalking phase takes place hand in hand with the defamation phase. Inevitably, the stalkers are occasionally caught and questioned by neighbors, onlookers, or possibly local law enforcement officials. The excuse most often given to those who question the stalking is that the target is under official investigation for a drug, sex, or criminal crime. Since most of this type of stalking is usually done by private investigative groups, they often have former officers on their payroll or close enough relationships with local municipalities that the police question them no further. What happened here? Neighbors that have noticed the 24-7 stalking are usually receptive of the drug or sex crime excuse for the simple reason that only a legitimate agency would spend the money necessary to surveil someone really dangerous for 24 hours per day. The PI groups in San Antonio, Texas would present themselves as FBI agents since their company's owner is former FBI. Neighbors or others who notice the organized stalking will almost always believe this excuse. The defamation eventually leads to target extreme measures to deny the allegations made against them which in turn make them look that much guiltier 
The defamation is much worse for licensed professionals, such as doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, or any state licensed professional. The drug addiction scenario is most often used in these cases where the mere mention of a drug problem will usually mandate that they undergo drug screening. Illicit drugs are usually placed in the victim's food or drinks that they are known to consume frequently through months of surveillance. Once their appropriate licensing agency is notified of their possible drug problem, the stalkers ensure that they will test positively for the drug that they are accused of abusing. This scenario works with near 100% effectiveness in destroying the career of the victim. The ultimate goal of the stalking and defamation phase is to get the target diagnosed as mentally ill or drug addicted to ensure job loss where they will be more apt to remain home where the rest of the operation can be accomplished. Incidentally, the stalking and defamation phases are also the two easiest points in this operation to intervene successfully and bring it to a halt. Unfortunately, most victims out of fear or suspicion that they are being targeted by a legitimate investigative agency do not pursue this. Moreover, until recently, most states have had very weak anti-stalking laws that are not easily enforced. Texas has taken the lead in 2011 with a bill written by state legislator Jane Nelson and Judith Zaffarini that was passed into law. The bill was written after a young woman who complained of stalking to the Bexare County Sheriff's Department was written off as mentally ill. Her stalker had held her at gunpoint while forcing her to slit her own wrist and write a suicide letter. She survived but was largely ignored by the appropriate agencies she entrusted to help her. Several months later, her stalker followed her to work and murdered her in the parking lot. According to the new law, a restraining order can be issued now against an alleged stalker without first proving bodily injury by that person or persons. Furthermore, the definition of stalking has been changed to make the charge much easier to put forth. Fortunately, this charge did not come in time for Christy Appleby, for whom the law was changed. An organized effort should be undertaken to force every state to follow suit in altering their stalking rules. This will make defending against organized stalking much easier. Currently, the perpetrators of this type of stalking take full advantage of the lack of legislation against it. Cursed Christy Appleby. While it appears that I am solely placing blame on independent private investigative agencies for the stalking, I am not excluding participation by corrupt individuals that are active duty law enforcement at federal and local levels. This does occur as I will illustrate. One must remember that the technology being used to commit these crimes originates at the federal government level. Hence, it is seen being used most often by private investigative agencies that are owned and operated by former FBI agents. These individuals maintain contacts with the agency who work 
with them in a reciprocal relationship. These relationships are imperative to the defamation phase. The majority of the public, dumbed down by years in the American public school system, will believe the defamatory lies told about a target by the private investigators. However, the more educated members of society who see private investigators as nothing more than licensed criminals will question the legitimacy of what they are being told about a family member, friend, or co-worker. An active duty police officer or FBI agent spreading the same misinformation is seen as more credible by the people being subjected to it. My own experience with defamation serves as a good example of active duty FBI employees taking part in this phase. A close friend of mine received a call on her cell phone for someone claiming to be an FBI agent asking her to come in for questioning. The term asking, I am using loosely. She was actually told that she would be formally requested to come in, and if she did not come in voluntarily, fearful from the threat, she reported as instructed to the FBI office in San Antonio, Texas. After going through their metal detectors and having a copy of her driver's license made, she was greeted by an FBI agent. Special Agent J.A. Questioned, questioned her extensively about my first book, A New Breed Satellite Terrorism in America. Of course, he downplayed the existence of the technology mentioned in the book. In finishing the interview, he told her not to believe anything I talk about, that I was a piece of shit, and she would do well to stop communicating with me. He added that I was not under any type of official investigation, inadvertently admitting that this was strictly harassment. Harassment. This occurrence is my first experience with active duty FBI personnel taking part in the defamation phase. I assume that this is probably going on in other place, cases as well. As of the writing of this book, I have yet to be questioned by this agent directly, harassing the author's friends who have only read the book. Again, the fact that they have not directly questioned me leads me to believe that their goal was purely harassment, defamation, and an attempt to prevent this book from being released. The best defense against defamation is to know your neighbors well and live a good life. Despite the stalking and attacks, one should do their best to function normally. Continue to work, attend church, children's activities, or whatever social activities you would ordinarily be expected to attend. Reclusive behavior will lead people to believe the lies being told about you. Moreover, sick to victims forums or organizations that handle victims of this type of crime to vent frustrations or talk about your experiences. Repeated attempts to convince non-believers of what you are going through will further align their belief with the doubts about your sanity that they are being told. Moreover, if you are using illicit drugs, stop. Illicit drug use can and will be used against you, not only to defame you, but the entire crime will be blamed on drug-induced psychosis.
Yeah. You think you see somebody, but you don't see shit, motherfucker. The government has specifically targeted drug abusers for mind control experimentation ever since the early MK Ultra sub projects. Solely for the reason that they are easily discredited. In conclusion, visibility in your community and normal societal interactions are key in defeating the defamation phase. This is a lesson learned from the perpetrators themselves. The perpetrator groups in the San Antonio area have ingrained themselves so well in their community as good Methodist wholesome people. And I wager no one that knows them would suspect or believe the atrocities they have committed. Victims must do the same. Living your life as a recluse, placing foil in the windows and constantly talking about this issue to people who are uninformed or you or who are uniformed will worsen your plight. Ah, the plight. The attack phase is characterized by directed energy attacks meant to disrupt moral physiologic functioning. It may occur at any time during a victim's targeting but is most noticeable as a distinct phase late in the targeting. Early attacks prior to the victim's awareness of stalking or defamation may be perceived as ordinary physiological medical issues. Often the victim has multiple physician visits that compl with complaints of muscle twitching, headaches, heart palpitations, skin burning, and other more obscure complaints with nothing medically abnormal found. Later in their targeting, the attacks are accompanied with voice-to-skull transmissions that make it very obvious to the victim that their ailments are not the result of medical pathology. Once the perpetrators are certain the victim is hearing their transmissions and have noticed the stalking, the attacks will escalate. During the attack phase, the victim can expect to be assailed almost 24 hours per day. If the victim is lucky enough to still be employed by the time this phase begins, attacks will be used as their key weapons to sleep deprive the victim. Often the attacks will subside just long enough for the victim to fall asleep with hopes that they will sleep through their alarm and be tardy or absent to work. Remember, the goal of this phase is complete annihilation of the victim's personal and professional life. This phase will continue until these goals are met or the perpetrator group is diverted or hired to target someone else. Manpower constraints within the perpetrator group will often result in abrupt cessation of attack as they focus their attention on another target that they've been directed or paid to attack. However, the victim will still usually have the infrequent attacks as a reminder that they are still being watched and are not entirely free from the program. Yeah, pretty much. That seems to be the case. According to Dr. Robert Duncan, Ph.D., his book Soul Catcher, Secrets of Cybernetic Warfare Revealed, the attacks are the result of central nervous system manipulation. 
In effect, the brain is being manipulated to manifest the physical symptoms of twitching, burning, spasms, and other symptoms. While this may be true, almost all of the victims also report electrical disturbances within their homes. It is my belief that some of the attacks are secondary to directed energy attacks at specifically targeted peripheral nerves, muscles, and organs, and not strictly through the central nervous centers controlling them. In effect, the same directed energy modalities being used to open and close garage doors, turn lights on and off, and disrupt computer screens in the victim's homes may also be used to physically attack the victim at targeted sites other than the brain. This may explain why neural programming to alter the EEG in most victims does stop some, but not all, of the attacks. It would stand to reason that with the myriad of weapons within the electromagnetic spectrum at their disposal, the mode of attack would be variable in nature and not dependent solely upon central nervous system manipulation. The weapons used in the attack phase include microwave, millimeter wave, radio frequency, laser, and probably scalar modalities. All of these modalities have been researched extensively and weaponized for military use as mentioned earlier in the book. While they have all been identified under the heading of non-lethal weapons, non-lethality, and the research setting was not based on 24-7 exposure. Moreover, the exact effect of their exposure long-term on the human body is not known, at least not in official research. The victims of the current experimentation may be the guinea pigs of some type of long-term exposure protocol that is too unethical to be done under a legitimate institutional review board with consenting volunteers. The attack phase is followed by the monitoring phase. Having worked with multiple victims that have been victimized for varying lengths of time, it is clear that the victims have been chosen for experimentation for the duration of their lifetime. Dr. Duncan and I are in agreement that the targeting is done for the life of the individual. However, once the goals of the perpetrators have been met, namely social, personal, and occupational destruction, the attack phase often lessens. As mentioned earlier, this victim will experience the occasional attack as a reminder to them that they are still being watched. Apparently, one of the rules of this experimental protocol is that once a victim is chosen, he or she must be monitored until their natural death occurs. Many victims are drawn to suicide by their respective perpetrators. This may be an attempt by the perpetrator groups to prematurely end the monitoring phase of one particular victim so manpower can be focused on other victims. The psychological resilience of the victim to the stress of the experimentation obviously plays a factor as well. From a medical perspective, the monitoring phase is probably to denote any immune problems, cancers, psychiatric problems, or diseases that may result from the long-term exposure to the electromagnetic weapons 
used in the experimentation. These issues will need to be elucidated before those modalities are released on the population as a whole for psychosocial control. In 1971, Dr. Jose Delgado, an MKUltra researcher, published Physical Control of the Mind Toward a Psycho-Civilized Society. His research required implanting the brain with a microchip to acquire the desired results. The development of directed energy has allowed for more efficient delivery with even better results without the need for brain implantation. What's this? Dr. Josie Delgado. Let's see here. Physical control of the mind. Physical control. Get your fingers out my gray matter. Uh, toward a psycho-civilized society. Psycho-civilized. Okay. That's the end of chapter eight. Excuse me. It's got some good notes in there. Some reference to research. Oi. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, that's it. I don't really have much to say right now. Fuck yeah. So I'm gonna end this dude. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end this with some uh some more Midtown Boot Boys and my fucking Tulsa theme. They got some good music actually. They got a good pretty good album. I got a couple other albums here. But this one was called uh Unfinished Business from off the Unfinished Business album. Shot in boots and grab a gun We're gonna go out and have some fun We're gonna pile up in the pickup truck tonight Nothing guns and shotgun chills Going to the party town that smells Bring her up cause we're gonna do it right Alright Going north of the railroad tracks Gonna get drunk on some life Cause that's the type of thing we like to do So if you hear a screaming cuss You best get the hell away from us Cause if you don't we might just up on you Cause Nazis, cause 
Unsub number 15 on March 21st, 2021. For guinea pigs, chapter 8 targeted individuals. All right, so uh, I'm using this. Uh, I'm over here out of town for work and uh, doing some trading and uh, learning some new stuff, checking out a new location. Uh, let's see here. Let's, let me update some happenings since my last episode. We had a big snowstorm come through, uh, through Texas. It was pretty fun. It was fun, I guess you'd say. It was interesting. Uh, moved my parents out of town, took over their house, got them to their graveyard where they want to die. And, uh, so they, they, uh, blessed me and my son with, with their location to help us out there. I mean, and we're in a good school district, I guess. And then, uh, had an interesting ride with an individual Turned out to be uh, not friends no more after that ride. <laughs> I could go on about how it, it, it was uh, suspect, but I don't really want. I, I had this is an edit. I'm just re-recording stuff, and I kind of just want to cut that out. I don't want to go through all that bullshit. But I'm up here. Uh, Doing my thing for work. My son's down there at uh, not too far from here at some family's house, and I'm waiting for my brother. I got old, older brother to get back in town. I haven't seen him in about forty years, and uh, since we were kids back in California, so that's a good thing. And uh, I'll be done here in a couple of days, and I get to move on. Uh. So yeah, this is uh, Guinea Pigs Chapter 8, Targeted Individuals. 
and I don't really want to go, I, I just, that's why I'm editing this, I don't really want to go on about a bunch of stuff, and, uh, considering some of this targeting, and all the stuff that I experienced, they say record and document everything, I don't know, man, I kind of like to keep my business my own, especially when it comes to people that I'm fucking, that I know, and, uh, I don't like to put it out there, like, well, there's, there's dissension involved, but then there's also people involved that's being indicated, and I don't like to fucking put, I don't like to give anybody, uh, their fucking recognition, you know what I mean, yeah, so, uh, I'm going to go like this. Let's see. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. That's Revelation 9.5. Yeah. So I'm going to end that like that. That's how this is going to begin as I edit this. I want to take note on the um, the Weaver and Ruby Ridge. It was Randy and Vicky Weaver. Millie Weaver is from Infowars, and she does some pretty good documentations. She puts some stu good stuff out there. Uh, so I just wanted to make note of that to correct uh, what I had said. Until next time. Strength and discipline in everything you do.